Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to this month's Emerging Market Lens and Look Through podcast. I am your host, Damian Sassauer, and today we are joined by the one only Johnny Goulden, Managing Director, Head of EM Local Markets, Sovereign Debt Strategy, and all things developed market related at JP Morgan. A real privilege to have you here, Johnny. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Great to be here. Thanks. Well, let's crack on, Johnny. I mean, you know, IMF week just concluded last, uh, just just a little while ago. And look, I mean, markets so far this year have not been easy to navigate, emerging markets obviously being no exception. So to start, you know, how are you and your colleagues at JPM um, viewing the overall investment environment for emerging markets in 2023? Yeah, so I think it's important to take a step back and, and think about that to begin with. Uh, our starting point for EM is one of a late cycle environment for markets. And that really means a late cycle environment for the US economy. And by that, we mean a point really where we're actively forecasting a US recession. And in our house forecast, that starts now within six months. Um, as well as that, you know, and contributing to that, obviously, we've had the largest Fed hiking cycle for 40 years. And so getting towards the a late cycle shouldn't be that surprising. Maybe what's more surprising is that actually the data flow has been relatively strong and that growth downturn has not materialized yet. Uh, we are still upwardly revising growth forecasts. And if you look at the inflation side of things, core, PC, core CPI in the US uh, has actually been rising again for the last couple of months. And so this is looking like two main major scenarios that we're considering that EM has to operate in. One is where the Fed has basically delivered enough tightening to push the US into a recession. And the second is one where the data is more resilient and the economy is more resilient and the Fed needs to actually hike more. And I think our economists are sort of highlighting these two. None, neither of these are going to be particularly great environments for EM. And that's why I would say we have an overall more defensive bias. And that's, you know, largely because risk assets and EM assets have very consistent patterns selling off in US recessions. Um, so if you don't think there's a US recession coming anytime soon um, and you think we're some mid-cycle, that's one thing. But if you do, I think you need to have a degree of caution here uh, on the risk side of EM assets. Well, Johnny, I think you rightly point out the linkage between markets and the U.S. Obviously, you know, that's <laughs> that's nothing new. But, you know, with these recent banking stresses, specifically with the regional banks here in the U.S., I'm wondering, you know, we didn't really see much in the way of direct spillovers to EM from DM, although we did see spreads in EM credit gap wider. But, you know, how... I mean, how much of this is is priced in, and and are we missing anything? You know, you know, regarding you know some of the some of the banking stresses we're seeing here in the U.S. So I think it's fair to say that there isn't a strong direct link, and particularly as these seem to have been contained by policy reaction for now. But for us, I think the channels are are uh, more first about the slower burn 
credit conditions tightening that we are likely to see um, off the back of this, and that contributes to the odds of a U.S. recession rising. And that's probably not just U.S. as well. We'll likely see uh, credit conditions tightening in in Europe as well, and so uh, that pushes through that channel. Um, and the second is maybe a reminder that these are the kind of events that sometimes happen after large Fed hiking cycles, particularly when rates have been, uh, monetary policy has been particularly loose for a long time. And I think that reminder is important for all of us. Um, I think this idea of, of uh, credit tightening on the margin is important for EM and EM credit markets, where obviously access to financing at this point is a major consideration when we think about uh, default probabilities and the ability to refinance and avoid them. Well, I mean, you talk about reminders. I mean, there's there's no bigger reminder to me that, you know, King Dollar has been knocked off his pedestal when you're looking at, you know, some of the, you know, um, some of the currency returns year to date. I'm talking Mexico, Brazil. I mean, across the board, you know, we've had some pretty good performance out of EM currencies of late. I mean, they've been quite resilient this year for sure. And you know, I'm just curious, you know, what are your thoughts on EMFX in the current environment? And and really, just how long is the runway for dollar weakness here? Yeah, so it is amazing that a month on from those dramatic events in March, there's been little lasting impact on local markets and EM currencies in particular have rallied. So uh, since mid-March, our GBIEM spot fx has rallied about five percent and is close to the highs of the year uh some of this is due to that resilience in global growth we've seen um the risk rally or sort of relief rally that we've had uh over that period as part of that um but there is something about dollar valuation given when we look last october when sort of the dollar was peaking uh on longer term measures, there was some evidence of, of uh, expensiveness uh, in the dollar. And I think, you know, typically into the EM currency crisis periods, you, you've often gone in the other way around with the dollar looking somewhat cheap. Um, and I think uh, as well as that, in longer term horizons, the positioning in EM currencies and local markets isn't very heavy really having had a decade of, of quite low inflows uh, into that part of the asset class. Um, you know, when we look at factors and what's really driving currencies, we talked earlier in the year about China, Chinese growth, actually, when we looked at the analysis, it was a key differentiator uh, between EMFX uh, in the early part of the year. Interestingly, in this last month that, that you highlighted um, following that the stresses in March, exposure to China hasn't actually been a, a key differentiator at all for EM currencies. Really what has helped explain it is if you look really at two-year rates and how they've moved, i.e. Uh, short-end rates, which is basically a carry trade. And uh, some of those currencies that you highlighted are certainly uh, the contenders in that. For us, that feels like a lower quality factor so late in the cycle, i.e. carry trades uh, in EM currencies um, can feel a bit more vulnerable, particularly if there is some risk that the, the Fed uh, may need to be repriced uh, and the front end of the US rates curve a bit higher if data continues resilient. 
Well, Johnny, now you're talking my language because our audience is well versed on, you know, factor, uh, fact, the factor drivers that, you know, that can that can impact emerging market currency returns. And, and just to review, you know, China, I think that's more a growth factor. Obviously, nominal carry after that has been the big driver of returns in currencies this year. I mean, with the Brazils and the Hungries of the world, so, forth, so on and so forth. But you mentioned something in there I thought was really interesting. You talked about U.S. fundamentals, <laughs> which in effect is value, right? And we all know the value factor, you know, it can take months, years even for, you know, value to be realized in currency investing. So I just want to clarify, are we thinking that there's some some, um, some truth to the fact that U.S. fundamentals in lieu of some of the things that are coming down the pipe here are actually weakening relative to their EM counterparts? Or am I just, you know, speculating there? I don't think it's as much that. It's more that if we think, take a step back, we have had um, many periods in the last decade of EM currency weakness and dollar strength. And if you think about that, you know, the sum total of that, when we got to last October, looked like a period where actually the dollar has been strengthening for quite a long time. Uh, against the EM currencies. And that that can look in trade-weighted terms like the dollar is, is somewhat expensive. Um, in I would say the reason I point to last October is actually since then, you've had a very significant sell-off. Uh, and so at current levels, it's a lot less like that and probably a bit more neutral in terms of valuation uh, in the way we see it. Yeah, and I and but I do, I do take your point. I mean, there has been very little inflows into emerging markets over the past decade, and like positioning is a factor here, right? And I think that's why you know on some of these sell-offs, specifically the sell-offs we've seen in in G10, you just haven't really seen the extent of that in emerging markets. So I take your point, but shifting gears here, you know, clearly there's been a lot of debate about the Fed, about its glide path, and the fact that markets are pricing in rate cuts later this year. Obviously, we uh, we could make a similar uh, debate. For emerging markets where, you know, Brazil, Chile, Hungary are also pricing in cuts. I'm curious, how do you see emerging market interest rates evolving in the current environment and how are policymakers thinking about it? Yeah, so this was, you know, a key point of debate in, in, and, and focus in the recent conferences that, that we held in, in Washington around the IMF World Bank spring meetings and a lot of comments from policymakers as well on that. Generally, EM rates followed in the last month uh, what the US had done, but with um, you know less of an extreme move in rates. And following that, basically, EM curves are, are pricing quite significant policy rate cuts. So there is some space for EM here. We have declining headline inflation and tighter credit conditions, maybe less pressure from the Fed. However, to us, after these moves, what we're really seeing is EM curves are pricing looser conditions for real policy rates at the end of the year than they were even when we started the year. And that was after we'd had a significant rally in, in rates. And this is starting to look a bit overdone at the very front end of the curve. Um, and we think there's probably room for central banks in EM to surprise on the hawkish side. Um, given what markets are pricing at the moment. And certainly that's one of the messages we got from policymakers uh, in EM is that they are, are trying to 
signal some independence from the Fed and some discomfort with, with the way the markets are thinking that their rates can go. I, I think regionally, probably Latin American rates um, are looking better than others, given they are high nominally. Real interest rates are also high. There's meaningful disinflation, improving current accounts, etc. Um, but uh, I think in general, where we're sitting right now, probably the front end looks fairly fully priced in the EM. I wonder, you know, if you can comment briefly also on, you know, some of the, you know, on the decision tree that, you know, monetary policy officials in emerging markets are currently contending with. And I'm thinking Brazil and South Africa here. You know, I've heard rumors that, you know, in the case of Brazil, they're looking to once again change their inflation target, raising it um, that it's far too low in South Africa. It's exactly the opposite, right? I think um, um, you know, you know, officials are talking about lowering the the inflation target. You know, again, is this all being done because you know policymakers are trying to find that right mix, that right trade off between growth and inflation? In your opinion, you know, what's the driver of all this? Is it just uncertainty surrounding what that sort of you know um, what what that you know inflation target should be, or is there something deeper going on here? I mean, I think policymakers, to, to be fair at the moment, in EM and, and DM are operating in um, a very difficult environment where they are not clear of the paths of the economies. They're not clear of the path of inflation. Um, and there are, in some of the countries that, that you mentioned as well, also governmental policies which need to be contended with, which obviously can impact... Yeah currencies, fiscal stances, etc. And I think that uh, we may well get, you know, very differentiated stances in EM uh, from central banks, because they interpret that mix of factors differently. Um, and, uh, you know, in that sense, that, as you mentioned, like you can see um, different central banks indicating different things, there may be changes of, of, of mind, as the data is evolving as well. And I think that the data has been evolving a lot. There's a lot of revisions in data as well at the moment. So uh, yeah, a difficult environment, I think, for policymakers who are trying to see which way this goes. And obviously, it, it, you know, a big factor will be if the Fed has to change its policy stance as well uh, from what it's right. been indicating so far. So uh, I think there's probably, you know, more to come in this. Right. No, I mean, I hear you. And look, I mean, we just saw, I mean, shifting our eyes a little bit to, to EM credit, we just saw spreads kind of blow out off the back of some of the, you know, kind of um, um, some of the stresses we saw in the U.S. banking system. I'm curious, though, you know, while, you know, DM spreads appear to have, you know, tightened a bit off the, you know, in recent weeks, you know, EM spreads appear to be uh, still wide, you know, and we know that EM credit spreads have a very tight correlation to those of their developed market peers. I'm just curious, why the decoupling here and, and and what opportunities do you see for investors at current levels? Yeah, so uh, that's absolutely right. So you've seen, if you take USIG or, or Euro area investment grade credit, those spreads, which kind of think of are the epicenter of what happened in March, uh, have retraced 80, 85% of that move now. Um, for the distressed part of emerging markets, so if you look at triple C and single B rated, they have not recovered at all. Um, right. So actually within emerging markets, there's a split. Investment grade sovereigns have recovered you know, much of their sell-off over March. Um, 
but it's really the distress part which hasn't. And that basically makes EM look like it is underperforming and, and it has underperformed. It doesn't just look like it. Um, and if you dive a bit a bit more into the country specifics, it's, it's really those lower uh, 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 rated distressed countries. So basically almost every country with bonds below 80 in price has fallen in price yeah. over the last two months, whereas everything with bonds above 80 has marginally gone up. So um, it's really a distressed EM uh, sovereign story. I think some of that is just unlucky in timing in this period around idiosyncratic developments, but uh, I think that's, you know, explanation probably only goes so far. Uh, I think it comes a little bit back to this idea that whilst there may not be a direct channel here, um, which goes from developed market uh, banking stress into EM, there is an indirect channel. And if you think about some of those countries in emerging markets, the way they rallied back after last October, there's certainly an element of market dependency there to justify the valuations they got back to. I, you need a market where yeah, risk-free rates are low or not too high, where credit spreads are, are, are low. And in that environment, you can make a case that country X or country Y can probably refinance, and therefore they can avoid a default. But I think that maybe we got reminded a bit that we're just not in that mid-cycle type environment. And so if we're later on, then actually those windows may not be there for those countries, unfortunately. Uh, and, and the market may have to think more about a path which involves dealing with that debt through a restructuring rather than being able to kick the can down the road. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, Johnny, we're running low on time, but I, I can't let you leave without asking. I mean, look, it, you know, it's kind of pursuant to what we were just discussing. Investors, they generally today, to me at least, appear more bullish on EM local debt than hard currency peers, right? And and I'm just curious what your thoughts are there. I mean, are you feeling the same thing as, are your, are your clients, you know, giving the same sort of sentiment read? I mean, you know, to be bullish EM local versus hard currency is is quite abnormal. Yeah, it certainly is not the normal setup of the last decade. Um, and that is definitely <laughs> the mood that we had uh, from the investor base, uh, again, around the Washington conferences, that local markets is seen as, as sort of the place to be and hard currency, not so much. And that that really is a reversal of what we have, have typically seen. Um, part of it is, you know, a reflection of performance. Um, Local markets is up yeah. over 5% in dollar terms, hard currency sovereigns just over a percent, hard currency corporates just over 2%. So, and that often is, is sort of extrapolated forward in some of the sentiment. Um, but there is also, I think, a set of concerns which investors have around the number of countries which may require debt restructurings and the extent of the haircuts that, that may be required in those. And that is related also to a set of questions around whether the architecture and infrastructure for, for debt restructurings is um, working well yeah. to deal with a large number of these that we are having at the moment. And uh, certainly there's a lot of discussion 
uh, again in, in, in Washington on those kinds of themes. And I think those things are, are sort of playing on investors' minds. I don't think they're unreasonable because, you know, we do have a lot of countries particularly at the, the sort of smaller countries, which have higher debt burdens. And obviously in this part of the cycle, that's all going to, to come through. Um, so I don't think it is unreasonable, but it, it is notable uh, that we have that weighing at the same time. And, and obviously the cohort in local markets is a slightly more uh, investment grade or at least uh, larger economy uh, cohort. And that that's sort of drawing a line uh, with where investors are seeing, at least in the short term, um, some of the the better opportunities in local versus hard currency at the moment. Johnny, you're going to have to promise me you come back and we can talk about the future of the common framework. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, sharing your views with us here today. And thank you to our audience of ever-enduring, always committed emerging market enthusiasts for your time and continued interest. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Emerging Market Lens and Look Through podcast on Bloomberg Radio around the world. 